So Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. May the Lord bring His blessing to that word that we have heard. Well, a closing message always uh, is due to bring us back to uh, part of the reasons uh, understanding what this letter was written for. It's interesting um, when you read this closing section, Paul takes more time to give final greetings than he did in chapter 3 to speak about mortification. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, the, if you were to put these words out in a letter, you would see a full page uh, in his final greetings and just about this much and about mortification and vivification. The, one of the preeminent reasons that Paul uh, wrote this letter to speak about uh, the sanctifying grace that is upon us as new creations, which we've heard much about in these last few sermons, mortifying, uh, putting to death the, the sin and the passions that are yet within our souls and vivification that is bringing to life that newness of Christ that is upon us, putting off uh, old Adam, putting on the new the last Adam, and and that uh, truly was one of the purposes of this. But that and and with that purpose of of having our eyes and our minds clearly fixed on Christ and where He is, and just seeing the the glory and what is waiting for us in Jesus Christ as we uh, live this life of sanctification in in uh, humility before the Lord. But the greatest purpose has been the preeminence of Jesus Christ to the Christian life. And we've seen how Paul has had to confront uh, traditions and innovations that promoted uh, formalism and superstition and legalism and 
uh, things that are enticing to our flesh. I, mean, I had a discussion yesterday with a man who is very familiar with Eastern Orthodoxy and was telling him how I always had this one man, I haven't seen him since COVID started, and I only saw him uh, about three times a year. George was his name, and uh, he was a Syrian Orthodox, and they claim to be the uh, beginning church from New Testament times. Well, that, that, that was nice. We had some good talks. But he always came in and he always said, I don't understand how you call yourself a church and you don't even have a cross on the wall. Uh, and, and I'm not you know, averse against having crosses uh, in, inside churches, but you know how we attach ourselves to objects. And it is something that really entices the flesh. And while an empty cross may, may seem to convey what Christianity is about, we know from Scripture that, that the Lord never used objects to uh, be the enticement to the world of what Christianity was all about. What's the highest thing that He always spoke of? And it pertains to this. Love for one another. You want the world to see that you are my disciples. Love one another. And, and, and you see Paul bringing that out. And, you know, in this letter we've seen many things that Paul has had to deal with. Within the things that he could see that would be subverting the place and preeminence of Christ in their lives. And, and that's why he wrote uh, to the Colossians. And, and I think, and, and it's always speculation, but I think the reason why in this very brief letter, Paul takes so much time now to bring final greetings, some of it has to deal with the issue that Paul never visited Colossae. He, he wasn't part of planting this church, but he knew about it, and he realized that it was a church that sprung up out of ministry that he had in other places. But he wanted them to see that they were a part of something bigger than themselves. The whole community of God's church. And I think he spends as much time here, as I said, as he does in other places, dealing with doctrine and theology to teach the Colossians to truly and genuinely appreciate the company of saints. And I don't think that's uh, so far from, from the purpose of this letter because Paul is ending here where he began. You go back again to chapter 1. And what does he say there? As he writes to the Colossians, he says in verse 2, "...to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, uh, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what does he say? We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ and of your love for all the saints. And, and in many ways, he, he does what a good sermon is supposed to do. You tell us where you're, you're starting and beginning and you make sure at the end you finish where you started and you bring us back to the whole point. And, and Paul does end here where he begins by, by considering the beloved and faithful saints. 
that are part of the church and not part of just Colossae's church, but the saints that are part of the church of Christ uh, that surround us. And think of that with hope, my friends. We, we understand, I'm sure, those of you who have, who have been with us from the beginning, and I can look out here and see that there's only one present tonight who's been with us from the beginning. Um, but others have come in and have been with us for many years in our short, brief years. But we realize that we haven't supported ourselves here, have we? The saints, the company of other churches have been a tremendous support, undertaking for many of our needs, but especially in prayer. And understanding, understanding that connection with saints, it's a big thing. What is a saint? Very simple definition. A saint is a saved sinner. That's it. (laughs) That's what a saint is. You know, it's not somebody who's been elevated by the church to almost uh, uh, idolatry. It is simply a sinner who has been saved by grace. They have been set apart by the Father, a recipient of electing grace. They have been saved by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, a recipient of saving grace, from electing grace to saving grace. And they have been called to obedience by the Holy Spirit, a recipient of sanctifying grace. It's all about being saved by grace, isn't it? And that's what we are. I mean, we don't take up that role of of looking at one another and saying, Hello, fellow saints. <laughs> it's, it's a word that is often far from our thoughts when we regard one another. But Paul began this letter saying, To all the saints. That's who we are. A saint is a believer whose head, whose love, whose glory, whose crown of righteousness, whose everything is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's a saint. And like I mentioned already, Paul had never visited Colossae, and yet his regard for them, it's, it's as though he, he was their servant. It is as though he had ministered in their midst. He sets himself as well in the company of several men known to the church. And, and that's why I think these, these lists of names at, at, excuse me, at the end of many of his letters are so important. They're a huge reminder to the church of the regard and the appreciation that we need to show and, and understand in respect of all who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the first thing to consider with this is just appreciating what each offers in the church. Paul had a remarkable tendency to, to list names and just to, to show to the church how people offered their service in the name of the Lord. And how to appreciate, appreciate what each other offers, not in who they are in relation to us, not in how much they are like us, but because they are saints. I hope this statement doesn't shock you too much. But you think about hope and our presence here. 
Would it surprise you that I have never made it our goal and aim as a church plant to go out and make Reformed Presbyterians out of Christians? That's not our goal. And don't get me wrong, I am Reformed and I am Presbyterian and this is a Reformed and Presbyterian church. But you know the thing about that label, Hope Presbyterian Church, while it may describe our church and our church as it is in distinction to other churches around us, and I don't mean just in distinction from Baptists or Pentecostals, it describes our distinction from Roman Catholicism and and other false churches and other liberal fallen churches, apostate churches, and others whose doctrine is less than faithful. We recognize all of that. And we do teach Reformed and Presbyterian positions. But this church is not here to make Reformed Presbyterians out of Christians. It's here to make disciples for Christ. The two are not necessarily against each other. But when you understand that we are called to make disciples for Jesus Christ, and we do that through the gospel, we bring them into sainthood by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and showing them God's grace and Jesus' salvation freely offered. And to make someone a disciple of Christ is to help them mature in the faith. It is the responsibilities of ministers. And many of these people that Paul mentions here were servants in office uh, as, as teaching elders and, and as ruling elders per, perhaps. But their, their purpose was to tend and to feed the sheep that had been given to them by the Lord Jesus. We've received Christians from other churches. We've seen people coming to faith and becoming part of our church. But we recognize that there's more to Christ's church than this congregation. Jesus is building His church and we have to guard that sectarianism doesn't become a problem. And, and uh, this is the thing that I always smile when, when I talk with other people about what church they go to. I'm not afraid to put the word Presbyterian on our sign. And I don't think any of us should ever be afraid to put a descriptive of who we are. Because we don't get rid of sectarianism by putting community fellowship in our name. We don't. It's foolish to think that. No kind of sectarianism can only be resolved when when we regard the love that Christ has for the saints and the love that we are to have as well for the saints. And you see Paul echoing that when he regards uh, those who have, have served Christ and served the church, even the church here at Colossae that he's never been part of. He shows Christ's love for the saints. You see that in verse 7 and verse 9, verse 11, verse 14. As he singles out these people and Paul in, in that uh, unction of the Spirit wisely chooses the names that he sets here. He mentions Tychicus. And what's the first thing that he says about him? Beloved brother. 
a beloved brother. He's a minister. He's one who had been with Paul on his missions through Greece and Macedonia. But he's a beloved brother. And then he he mentions Onesimus in verse 9. He was known to the Colossians. Uh, He writes a letter to Philemon who is a part of the Colossian church. And and, uh, he's known to them as someone, uh, uh, a slave, uh, a slave who ran away from Philemon's household. And incidentally, uh, we will hear, uh, if you read through other parts of Scripture, Tychicus was carrying a letter for Philemon in respect of him. But what does he say about Onesimus? This runaway slave. A faithful and beloved brother. And Mark. We know all about Mark in verse 10. Mark and we read about him in Acts 15. He was the reason for such a sharp conflict. An argument that separated two of the most prominent missionaries in the early church, who would have thought Paul and Barnabas could be broken? You know, that's the glory team, if you will, of missionaries, isn't it? And Mark quit midway their first journey because the work was too tough. Barnabas wanted to bring him along. And Paul said, no, he doesn't have what it takes for the ministry. And they split. What does he say there about Mark? Welcome him. And he says a little further on how he was a help and a comfort. Justice, a Jew who served Paul's journeys. Luke, a Gentile physician who became a dear traveling companion of Paul. Demas, an impressionable uh, impressionable young man, a Jew, a Gentile, a doctor, an ordinary person, a slave, a young and old. And what does Paul say of them? Beloved. And, and I believe there Paul was, was very faithful to what he understood how God regarded them. Paul is the one you recall who wrote Ephesians, the, one of the preeminent letters of his imprisonment. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon are counted the prison letters. Uh, Paul wrote them when he could no longer serve in a very physical, visible way. But you recall in Ephesians 1, in the opening of that letter, when he talks about the spiritual blessings, Paul understood how God regarded the saints. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has chosen them in love to be adopted as sons and made them accepted in the Beloved One. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 1? Uh, we, uh, most of you were here this morning, but you heard that with the whole message of the church as God's family. God has loved them. And God has accepted them in the one whom God has said is the beloved one. (laughs) The one who is the preeminent focus of all of the Father's love and through whom we have been loved and accepted. And that being the source of true, genuine, real love, Paul cannot help 
but love <laughs> the saints. And isn't that where it always begins for us? Loving the saints. And in that love, appreciating what each has to offer. It's interesting as you go through verse 7, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 14, Paul mentions something slightly different about each one of them, how they have contributed to the ministry uh, and the spread of God's Word and uh, how they have been servants in Christ building up the kingdom of God and how God has used them. The Lord has used them to build His church. And if you notice, there's a common refrain that's attached to these people that he mentions. A faithful minister, a fellow servant, a faithful brother, a fellow prisoner, a fellow worker, a bondservant, a beloved physician. But you you see that one term, a fellow. In other words, we're joined together. (laughs) I'm not alone in this. We can feel that sometimes if you're very much a worker in the church and you're, you, you know, I don't always believe that that principle that 80% of work is done by 20% of the people, I know that's not true in our church. <laughs> but that happens at times, doesn't it? And you sit there and you feel like, why am I doing everything? And Why isn't everybody else joined in with these labors? And and, and Paul just steps back and he says, I'm going to appreciate what each has to offer. And even if it is for Colossae, a, a ministry of prayer, Epaphras. He's not there serving your church. But boy, is he praying for you. <laughs> and, and you link that, those common words together. Fa- faithful, fellow, servant. Paul appreciated, no matter how small or insignificant it was, he appreciated what each one brought to the place, to the plate, in service of Christ. And it is a truth that saints who are full of faith are the ones who do most often join in to serve. They 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 express their faith in service. And, and we see that connection as Paul lists these people. Faithful is associated with service. And, and this is where it speaks to those who are less than respectful of the service that needs to be done in the church. I'll put it in that, in that way. We know those people who do exist and maybe get on our nerves when they criticize the work that is being done. Don't you love those people who, who find it easy to criticize what others are doing when they themselves are not? <laughs> and that happens. And we have to be guarded that we're not stepping back and criticizing those who don't seem to be doing anything in the feeling that we are doing everything. And what Paul presents for us is he has this love for the saints. He's, he's showing us the godliness that is there to appreciate the service of faithful brethren who served their Lord and Savior. You know, it's not until his final letter in 2 Timothy that Paul, even as he lays out those who have forsaken him, he doesn't name too many names, but he does bring up Demas' name. <laughs> 
it, it, it's more mourning, not criticizing. And when we have this appreciation for how the Lord works in the service of faithful brothers, then we find ourselves being edified by what they have to offer. Remember again the letter to the Ephesians, which probably was read here at Colossae too. How Paul said in Ephesians 4 that the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies in the grace of Christ according to the effective working of the Holy Spirit where every part does its share and thus causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in what? In love. My friends, if, if your service to the Lord does not both flow from love for the Lord and love for His saints and does not produce love in your heart for the saints, then no matter how much service you are doing, your motive and attitude is out of order. And that is, it's a reality, it's a hard thing to guard against. But Paul is seeing here how every part is doing its share and is causing the body to grow in love. And what a comfort it is. You you see Paul using that word comfort as well in verse 8 and 11 and 12 and 13. He says, what a comfort this service is. It's a comfort to me. I'm in prison. I can't be out there working and laboring for the Gospel like I thought I was called to do. But what a comfort to me to know that God has raised up others who are out there serving. And I, I feel so blessed. You know, that's how, that's how he's saying it. Appreciating what each offers. And, and in that light too, it's also understanding how we have to be careful not to judge people before their time. It's another thing this list of names brings out for us. Paul again <clears throat> is, is being faithful to what he has preached. He's practicing what he has preached. He is the one who has written back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things out of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. And then each one's praise will come from God. We've got to be careful not to judge anything before it's time. And Paul is no doubt reflecting on this point, even as he lists some of these people. It's interesting, he calls Tychicus a servant. A slave is the, is the proper word. But we put it more in context as a, as a servant. He's serving. But that word is, is a slave. A fellow slave. And when he gets to Onesimus, who is a slave? <laughs> Does he call him a slave? No. And he understands that the Lord is doing a work in each of these brothers' lives. And Onesimus called a beloved brother as Tychicus was, and yet he was a runaway slave who came to saving faith and is now returning to his Christian master. 
uh, Philemon's the next letter we're going to look at uh, beginning next week. It just is a natural continuance of this. How do we receive people who have harmed us? How do we regard people whose lives have changed, but have they really changed? Mark! Oh, Paul judged Mark, didn't he? And I don't think Paul was unique in in suddenly having his mind changed about Mark. I think he's like most of us. It would have taken a lot of time. And it certainly has taken a, a bit of time, but now Mark is a beloved servant, a fellow laborer, and one who encouraged and helped restore, uh, uh, who encouraged him and and Mark is viewed as a wonderful servant, a comforter. Demas, a young man who here and in the letter to Philemon, he's a young man who was eager to labor with Paul, but what do we read in just five years about him? He's one who forsakes Paul in his darkest hour, and has a change in his own affections towards Christ and loves the world more than he loves Christ. And he mentions there Archippus in verse 17 and he's mentioned as well in Philemon but he appears to be a minister struggling in his ministry and needing encouragement and yet Paul regards him as a beloved fellow soldier. Philemon verse 2. And, and, and in looking at this list of names, we of course have a lot more in Scripture to help us understand who they are and some of the challenges that existed in their lives. But it just reminds us about being so careful how we judge people. Have you ever judged someone before their time? Have you ever held the past struggles of someone in your mind and not considering that the Spirit of God may have effected a great change in their life. It's hard. You see, loving the saints is not easy. And, and most of the struggle comes within our own hearts to truly count people beloved in the Lord. I confess, and this is a personal confession, that when I hear of some less than faithful doctrinally and perhaps even in the gospel message, when I hear of some of these churches or some of these meetings where they speak about people who have come to faith, what's the first thing that's running through my mind? Yeah, but what kind of gospel did they hear and what are they believing? It's so easy to judge, isn't it? It, it, it is difficult to say with joy, well, praise the Lord. Some of us forget our early beginnings in the faith <laughs> because we see ourselves where we are now, but we don't remember where we were in the infancy of faith in Christ. And we judge when we become disappointed with someone who seems to be going down a different path and do you know what, what happens most when we cast these judgments in our mind about such? Is that we most often stop praying for them, don't we? And do you know what happens when you stop praying for such? We forget them. 
You see how important love for all the saints is. I say this, you know, in respect of Paul's writings, but just in respect of Scripture and the Lord Himself. I mean, I mentioned it in our prayers, and I think of it often, but the Lord Jesus knew that Peter was certainly going to forsake him in a very disappointing way. But what is it that we read in John's Gospel about Christ as that dark hour of evil approaches? He knew Judas was going to betray him. All his disciples were going to forsake him. Peter was going to fail him. And yet, what do we read of Christ? He loved them to the end. And He even came to Christ. I mean, sorry, He came to Peter. And He said those words, Peter, I'm praying for you. And that's our Lord. My friends, we are called to reflect Christ in our love for the saints. I submit to you that one of the highest love we can have for one another is that faithfulness in prayer. Even for those whom we hold in suspect. (laughs) And in this way, it brings us very quickly to this point to appreciate how Christ builds His church. I'm a church planter. This is my second church plant. I often have to remind myself that I'm not building the church. Christ is. And one of the one of the tasks to that, and one of the, the greatest things to overcome is not casting judgment on everyone who comes through these doors. When they come in, there's a reason they're coming in. And what is that? The Lord has led them. And whether it be for salvation and eternal life in Christ, or for them to be challenged in their faith, or for them to just simply be met with the love of Christ. We do not know where the end of those things go because we're not building the church. We're serving Christ. And He is building His church. And as Christ builds His church, we understand some are more, some are less pure. Revelations 2 and 3. You want to see what the church looks like today. You read those two chapters and you will see what the church looks like today. It's not all glorious. It, it's, it's a mixture. But Christ is building His church. And the church is purposed to be a grace to His people. Again, I draw your attention to the opening words of this letter. Paul said, even though he did not uh, go to Colossae, I don't think he ever did actually, even though he may have desired But remember the opening words, we give thanks to the Father since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. And he writes about how they're struggling in their faith to have the preeminence of Christ before their eyes and finding their completeness in Christ. He still says, I give thanks to the Father since we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. You love all the saints. (laughs) You love them all. And your hope, you have a hope uh, laid up for you in heaven. And on all of this, because the Gospel has come to you. Oh, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if that's the testimony of hope in glory. 
And there is where we are called to have an intimate fellowship of the saints, recognizing that we have been united in Christ. And even more for our tradition, joined together with vows that we may seek one another's comfort, maturity, and completeness in Christ. I recall Job's three friends who came to him in the time when he was suffering in his soul beyond measure as the evil day of Satan fell upon him and as in the sovereignty of God he underwent such fiery trials as God sought to show forth the gold of his faith. And his three friends came to sit with him. But were they any comfort? <laughs> Job 16.2 <laughs> Miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> My friends, we are called to comfort one another. I think that's, that's something that Paul here emphasizes. We may not always know the hidden things of people's souls. We don't always know the circumstances that are happening in one another's lives. But we do know our responsibility in the Lord is to love them, to pray for them. Every week we have another name of a household in our bulletin that we make that family a focus of our prayers. Now we have a rotation set up, but step back and think, in God's providence, look who's there. Ilya and Nina. And they're the focus of our prayers. And in God's providence, that's not an accident. It's there with reason. Because God knows what's going on in their lives right now. We don't. And our love for the saints is, is in that knowledge and wisdom of who God is. We're here to comfort one another. For all the saints, may we appreciate what each has to offer. May we appreciate how Christ is building His church. Let's pray.